That was fast, Lorraine. Whew. Yeah, you could beat me in a race now, I'm telling you. All right, let's begin this morning. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the tremendous gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the fact that you allowed him to die on the cross for our sins and you raised him on the third day from the dead. We thank you, Father, that you have made salvation so simple, which is simply hearing the good news about Jesus Christ and believing in him. Father, today we would ask that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that will go on here today with one another. We pray, Father, for the church in this country and around the world, especially in those who are being persecuted in foreign countries. And Father, we also ask for your blessing upon our nation. And we ask, Father, all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning again, everyone. This month we are featuring Grace Prison Ministries as our missionary organization. It's a missionary organization to the prisons and the prisoners in the United States. It's led by Keithy and Starling. And they, uh, they go into the prisons and the jails and they preach the gospel and they also teach the word of God. And uh, this is life-changing work. And uh, Keithy and has so many um, things to say about the lives that have been changed. Some of his... Information about that's on his website, and his website is www.graceprisons.org, www.graceprisons.org. Please visit that website, and if the Lord puts it on your heart, they can always use financial assistance, like every missionary organization does and needs, um, because they're really dependent on the church to support them. That's how they continue to be able to do what they do. So please give to them generously if you're able to. Please keep them in prayer, which we're all able to do. Uh, the homeless ministry of, of Bud and Kim Duncan, Dungan, um, they're doing great work. Uh, you know, I've announced for the last few weeks the um, opportunity to provide uh, food and finances and other things. Um, I, was, I used to mention clothing, but apparently they're like overrun with clothing right now. So that's not something they need right now. Also, if you're going to donate food, which is great. In fact, we had this wonderful gift, but it was left on our back door. And unfortunately, there was no one here for several days. And as you can imagine, there were some perishables in there and with the hot sun and the rain. So please, okay, bring them on Sunday where, we, where you know somebody's here to take care of it. I just passed that along. Um, oh, and there's a rumor I heard. A little birdie came on my shoulder and said that somebody here has a birthday today. I believe she's turning four. And her name is Sadie. Yeah. Now, Sadie, I sing quietly behind here. When During the song service, you may not see that. So I'm going to show you my voice right now. You ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sadie. Happy birthday to you. You only get to be four once, after all. Apparently now, I don't know if you've heard this, but apparently singing happy birthday is not allowed because of COVID-19. Can you imagine... 
they've even figured out, well, I don't know if this is really scientific, but they said that the bees and the peas are the worst. Can you imagine? Who, who is out there working night and day to come up with other ways to ruin our happiness? I don't know, but somebody is. Anyway, all right, so let's begin in the message today in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. And there's a simple message here. And it is that God desires all men. I remember in the Bible, usually men means the human race, and it does here. God desires every member of the human race to be saved. That's the key, and that's the message this morning. We're going to see exactly how that flows through our passage. We're going to read from chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, from verse 1 through verse 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse... One. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved And to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God. And one mediator. Also. Between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Who gave himself. As a ransom for all. The testimony given at the proper time. For this. I Paul was appointed a preacher. And an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles. In faith and truth. Now let's back up for a minute and remind ourselves of where we've been. We're now done with chapter 1. And in chapter 1, Paul exhorted Timothy to instruct certain men to stop teaching strange doctrines. Those men were his opponents. Among other things, they didn't understand the true purpose of the law. And we we can infer from that that what they were trying to do is put believers under the law. Now, Paul understood the difference between law and grace. And in fact, he never got over the fact that Christ Jesus, our Lord, had mercy and grace for him and actually entrusted the chief of sinners, the worst sinner who ever lived, Saul, who became Paul, with this glorious message of the gospel. So he, he protected that he, he, with every ounce of his being. He, he understood the incredible value and freedom of that message. And he, was, and he was aggressive against anyone who would try to change it, anyone who would try to pollute the minds of people with lies around the good news. For example, if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 now, just for a moment, I want you to see one verse because it connects directly into what, what's going on in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. So if you would, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 15. Notice, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. In other words, if there's nothing else you pay attention to, pay attention to this. What is it? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I, Paul, am foremost of all. Remember that he understood why would it be that the Lord would pick him the worst of all sinners, to be the one who he had given this glorious good news to. And he understood it could only be one thing, that the mercy and grace of God are endless 
And therefore, he understood, as we're going into chapter 2, that since the Lord saved him, it follows that he'll save anybody. And that's the message today. God desires that all men and women be saved. Now, near the very end of chapter 1, if you recall, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. That's that's an introduction. You see, in chapter 1, he says the main statement, all right, fight the good fight. Now, you might ask, well, what is the good fight and how do I fight it? So in chapter 2 and onward, he now is going to lay out the battle plan for Timothy so that he knows why he's fighting and how he's to fight. And then notice he says in verse 1, first of all then, what's of first importance in the battle plan? It's real simple to understand what the fight is about. I mean, if you don't understand that, how effective can you possibly be? So of first importance is to tell Timothy to instruct the people, the church in Ephesus, this is what it's about, and here's how you fight. So Paul knew that the opponents posed a serious threat to the gospel message. That's why he got so worked up. That's why he came to the point where he said, I'm going to turn over, I have turned over, two of the leaders of this outfit to Satan so that they would learn not to blaspheme. Now that's harsh. That's intense. And it just shows you the love that he has for the gospel and how protective he is of the purity of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but he knew that he had to have his, his lieutenant, Timothy, on a mission. He sent him on a mission. And that mission was to rescue the church at Ephesus from the danger posed by the opponents. Now here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, there's a key to understanding all of it. And it actually comes down to two words. All and men. All and men. And man, as we'll see. You follow those words through these seven verses... And you will understand exactly what's at stake. Because what's under attack is the mission to preach the gospel to all men and women. Not to a select few, not to just the nation of Israel, but to the nations throughout the world. All men and women. The Lord wants them all, after all, to be saved. Therefore, how does that happen? By preaching the gospel to them. And so anyone who would come on the scene and try to corrupt the message that saves or try to make it so that it doesn't apply to certain people is attacking the very essence of what Christianity is about. We miss that sometimes. By the way, this is still going on today. We'll see that in a minute. We miss the importance of the the purity of the word of God when it comes to the gospel and also the mission, which is universal. All right, let's read it again. Now, this time, as we read it, let's just follow those two words through these seven verses. Notice, verse 1. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. All men and women. For kings and all who are in authority. Notice the universal statements he's making. Not some, but all of them who are in authority. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. By the way, we're going to see that even that part in verse 2. Where he talks about leading, uh, leading a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That too supports the main point of this section. We'll see that. That all men, God desires all men to be saved. Verse 3. This is good. 
What is good? To pray for all men, all men and women. This is good and acceptable, pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. See it again and again. The testimony given at the proper time. And this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You know, whenever the Bible repeats something, especially in the same area, you might say, I get it, I get it. But the repetition, it puts a stamp of importance on it. An exclamation mark. And it says that the message of this whole passage has to do with all men and women. That that's the focus. From the prayer to the beginning to Paul's mission to the end and everything in between is about the gospel is for all men and women. God desires every person to be saved. Every person on the planet, he desires to be saved. But unfortunately, in the battle, there was a poison gas that was coming on into the church. And it was going to shut them down as an effective fighting unit if something wasn't done. What was it? Very simple, a false teaching. Have we seen this again and again? That the thing that's most threatening to the church is false teaching. It's not the world. It's not homosexuality. It's not a certain political party. It's none of those things. It's within the church, false teaching that is, that is taken off. And people are directed away from the, what the word of God has to say by falsehood. That's the most damaging thing to the church. Bar none. And we know that because that's something that Paul goes after again and again. And in almost all of his epistles, he at some point deals with the need to focus on the truth and push away the lies. And this is no exception. What false teaching? It's called the limited atonement. Those are two fancy words. Limited means not for all. And atonement has to do with who Jesus Christ died for. So the limit atonement is a heresy. It says that Christ did not die for all members of the human race. By the way, that is a direct slap in the face to God and his plan. We, just, we see it here. He desires all men and women to be saved. If you're teaching that, that Christ didn't die for all members of the human race, you are teaching heresy. And it's that simple. It's that simple. The idea that God willed for an exclusive group to be saved. That Jesus died for that group, but not everybody else. That there are those who are excluded outside the ability to be saved. It's heresy. It was heresy then. It's heresy today. Why? Because it attacks God's entire plan of salvation. Think of it. You know, sometimes we see these certain teachings, and there's a whole intellectual part of it, and people try to use certain scriptures in a certain way. We have to get straight on what is central, though. What is central to God's entire plan of salvation? Yes, it's the cross of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to men, men and women, what's central is the fact that God desires all men and women to be saved. Now, if you attack that, you're attacking the entire plan. Why do I say that? Because it challenges everything about God's plans. From the beginning, God willed that all men to be saved. To the very purpose of Christ's death, 
that he would be the mediator for all people, that he would be the ransom for the whole human race. It attacks that. And then it attacks at the end here, when you think about the, the order of events, in eternity past, God willed that all men would be saved, that, that, that he gave the opportunity, let me put it that way, for all men to be saved. That was his desire. Do you know that? God's desire is that no one perish. His desire is that no one go to the lake of fire. And as we're going to see, we also know that some do. That's not because of what God wanted or even what his will was in the sense of what he would like to have come to pass. But we have the respects, the honors, the decisions of people. And his whole issue with salvation ultimately is the fact that I've given my very son to die for your sins. And what I want you to do is just believe the truth. And yet there are so many who don't do that. They can be saved, but they don't want the truth about who Jesus Christ is. So not only that, also this this doctrine of the limited atonement. Christ didn't die for all. If you think about it, by the way, in that day and age, you know, today, there's a certain theology that talks about those who are chosen and those who are damned. And the chosen today, it's kind of a murky thing. Well, back then it was really clear, all right, where, where Paul was coming from and where these opponents were, were, were coming from was they were teaching that only Jews and those who became Jews could be saved. So the exclusive group were the Jewish people. Isn't that interesting? And yet Paul is trying to say, wait a minute, if, if that's true, then you understand that my entire mission to the Gentiles is in vain. It shouldn't even be going on. After all, if they can't be saved, why am I going out to all these places? Why have I been shipwrecked? Why have I been nights in the wilderness? Why have I been persecuted and so forth? You're telling me? You say all of that. God's calling. If you see the fact that, that he was the worst of sinners and God called him and gave him this great rich deposit of the word of God, the gospel... All of that doesn't matter, according to the opponents, because there's people out there that God doesn't want to be saved. That's the same teaching today. If you realize, I'm talking about the uh, Calvinist teaching, is the fact that not all are able to be saved. That God chooses some, the elect, and, and that God had his son die for that group. Heresy, in every sense of the word. It's against God's will. It totally nullifies the purpose of Christ's death. And it just steals away anything from the, Paul's mission to the Gentile church. And that's why he lays that all out in these seven verses. But let's take this one step at a time. First of all, notice, first of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. All men. By the way, we also, right at the beginning, we see what our greatest weapon is in this fight. Prayer. Prayer. Mentioned last week that our weapons are spiritual in nature. So often we think that we go after it by attacking people back. Not what the Word of God says. The first thing is prayer. That's first of importance. Now, given the subject matter... That God wills that every man be saved. What do you think the prayer should be about? It's going to be a prayer with a purpose. Well, if the purpose is for all men to be saved, then he's saying that we ought to pray for all men. This isn't complicated. Right. 
Now, they weren't. By the way, that's true today. There's so many people that are kind of worked up. Should I pray for them to be saved or not? The answer is, of course. That, and remember, what, how, what prayers are most effective? You want to know what prayers are most effective? The ones that line up with the will of God. What is the will of God here? That all men be saved. So should we be praying that all men be saved? You bet. <laughs> you bet. There's so many mental gymnastics around this within the church. It's crazy. Oh, you only want to pray for the body of Christ or, you know, you can't pray for anybody to be saved. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. We see it right here. Look, it's in black and white. It's, he says, look, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. All people. Don't leave anybody out, in other words. Prayer with a purpose. One purpose. But I say that prayers, entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings, leaders, all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. In other words, when he says, first of all, he says, it's time to focus. It's, this is a matter of first importance. This isn't an afterthought. So many people treat prayer that way. You know, I'm going to do what I need to do. And then, oh, you know what? I better pray. Well, no, actually, the, the focus ought to be the prayer. And then you, then you line up your heart with the will of God. And then your, whatever you end up following up with is effective because it's according to the will of God. Including, as we were going to see, the kind of life we lead. If we're orienting everything to the fact that God desires all men to be saved, it's going to follow that the kind of life we are to lead is to line up with that truth. Okay, we'll see that in just a moment. Now, what we have here, where he says, pray for all men, it's one of five remarkable, universal all statements that Paul makes in these seven verses alone. That's why I wanted to go through it again. And you can see all, every time it says all and all men. So what are the other ones? In addition that God asks us to pray for all men. And mobilize the church to pray for all members of the human race. Remember, fight the good fight. When you mobilize, what's the first thing? Prayer on behalf of all men. Then he goes on and he says that God desires the salvation of all people. Universal. No one left out, in other words. That's verse 4. Then in verse 5, Jesus is the mediator between God and the entire human race. He's not the mediator between God and the church only. He's whosoever believes in Christ, right, will never perish. Whoever. All men and women have this opportunity, all right? And Christ is the mediator between God and the entire human race. That's verse 5. The human, we're going to see why he puts that. In a, in a way, it seems unusual, doesn't it? The human or the man Christ Jesus. You say, why did he put man in there? Well, we're going to see why it is. Because he's the mediator. And we'll see in a moment what a mediator is. Okay. Now, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for who? All human beings. You know, Jesus Christ died for everybody, and that's why we should never have the attitude that, well, this person looks too wicked to be saved. Or, you know, that one there, man, I tell you what, I've been trying to get him to believe for 10 years, and he hasn't, so forget it, he can't be saved. You know, we, made a, we never say that, but that's our attitude quite often if we're being honest. If we're being honest. But remember, what's the antidote? 
Saul of Tarsus. Whenever you get that attitude about any member of the human race, you better look back and say, who did God make a point of telling everybody that he saved this one? And the answer is the worst sinner who ever lived. The one who was, if you, had, if you today saw anybody behaving in the manner that Saul of Tarsus behaved, you would be outraged and believe me, you would in your heart of hearts say, that one can never be saved. Attacking the church, persecuting the Christians, blaspheming the name of the Lord. So you'd say, we don't, we, sometimes we have people who like, well, you know, there's a teaching today as well that says, if you're, if you're not blatantly obvious about the fact that you believe, then you're not a believer. Have you heard that one lately? Yeah, it's called lordship salvation. Same thing. You know, you've got to proclaim it. You've got to have certain signs and indicators or else you are not saved. It's baloney. All right. Paul, think about Saul of Tarsus. Was at the point at which he was saved, had he prepared himself by repenting of all of his sins? No, he hadn't. He hadn't done any of the things ahead of time that apparently, according to the lordship folks, you're supposed to have to do. Did he abandon everything and follow Christ? The opposite. He was, he was trying to persecute Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's that, at that moment, as ungodly and unrighteous and the worst sinner who ever lived, that's who, at that moment, the Lord saved Saul of Tarsus. Never forget that. And then finally, he, <laughs> excuse me, and this is important as well, Paul is the apostle, the preacher, and the teacher for the Gentiles. Now, in your minds, you have to understand that this was a revolutionary idea. That they had in mind that, you know, where does salvation rest? It's on the Jewish people. So when you extend that to the Gentiles, what have you just done? You said it's for all men and women. So five times in these seven verses, he makes a remarkable universal statement concerning salvation and the entire human race. All right, let's continue. Paul, by the way, says entreaties, right? And prayers, petitions, and thanksgiving. It's funny. There's so many theologians that try to like put a fine point on this and try to tell you there's four kinds of prayer and all the distinctions. It's not at all what Paul is saying here. He's just saying, listen, this is it's important. So I, I'm not I'm not teaching you a doctrine of prayer. I'm saying think about prayer in all of its completeness. He says the same thing four ways, you know, like Mark Anthony said, friends, Romans, countrymen, for emphasis. Well, he was talking about the Roman citizens in every case, but he emphasized it by saying it three different ways. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, think about the, your complete prayer life, all right? Is it directed in the way that lines up with the will of God for the human race? In other words, pray for all men. That's the key, all right? He's saying, listen. In your entreaties and prayers, pray for all men. In your petitions, pray for all men. In your thanksgivings, pray for all men. At least thank the Lord that he died for all people. You see, our prayer life is to be focused on all men and women. Again, we forget that. We think we're only supposed to pray for members of the church. I'm as guilty of that as anybody else. Because if you look at the prayer list that I use on Thursday evenings, you know. right Now, there were a few things in there about praying for people to be saved. There's a lot of other things. And by the way, that's okay. We are supposed to pray for the, for the body of Christ first, but we should remember there's a whole big world out there. People need to be saved. All right. By the way, he goes on and he gives a particular class of men and women, of men actually, that apparently then, as now, 
they consider to be the worst of the worst. Who's that? Verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. At that time, who was the emperor? If, I'll tell you, it's Nero. You know, Nero who fiddled while Rome burned. By the way, who, had, who, who took Christians and made them living torches for his parties. That one. Now, you know, if you were looking around and saying, who's the most wicked person I can think of? It would have been Nero. It would have been Saul, but he's now Paul. Not only that, Herod. Another, that name, of course, goes down in history as, as the name of someone who was hostile all the way around to Christ. And yet, he's saying, pray for them. Today, we have the same thing. Um, people who, like, can't stand a certain leader, and so they just, they think there's no hope for that one, or he's wicked, or all those kind of things. Or I guess she, I can put she in there now, because we have women and men leaders. But he's saying, listen, I don't oh, them, and especially them, because why? Think about it. They're an authority over Who? All the people, right? So it's pretty important that you pray for the leaders because of the influence they have and the authority they have over all the people. All right. No matter what you think about the conduct or character of a leader or someone in authority, pray for them. Pray for them. Next, we see this expression, tranquil and quiet life, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What's he talking about? Well, I'll tell you one thing he's not. A lot of people miss the boat here. He's not saying a problem-free life. As a matter of fact, in the very next book, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, he's going to tell us about our lives. He's going to say all who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. So when he talks about a quiet life, and he's talking about a tranquil life, He doesn't mean from the outside in. (laughs) He means from the inside out. Why? Because it's how we conduct ourselves. That's what we can do to either put a hindrance to the gospel or to bring the gospel to people. You know the expression, it's not the man, it's not the message? I mean, it's not the man, it's the message? (sighs) You're going to see in 1 Timothy how wrong that statement is. Beginning here with the people. And by the way, he's going to go to the leaders in the church. And believe you me, it's not about, it's about the man first and then the message, interestingly enough. When he talks about the qualifications of a deacon and an elder. In any event. No, the issue here is the lifestyle of the believers. The inner disposition of the believers. That's what the focus is on. The the tranquil and quiet life is the life that we lead. It lines up with the fact that God wants to save all people because we should be conscious of the the impact, the, the, the impression that we leave about Christ and the good news by our life and our inner disposition. That's what he's saying. That's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, I don't want anything about your lifestyle or anything about your inner and this is where it comes from. You're in a disposition that will cause a hindrance to the preaching of the gospel to all men. That's really what he's talking about here. Now, I know that's not a popular message. A lot of people don't want to have to deal with that. Why? Because it's about us recognizing that we need the grace of God. And, and by praying for all men and women, what we're really praying for is the fact that we would be changed so that we would be a more effective witness to all men and all women. Do nothing... That will bring shame or scandal to the church. 
Be gentle with others, especially those outside. Be even-tempered, not prone to temper tantrums and depression, but even-tempered, dignified. Notice, I want you to see that Paul just doesn't say this here. He says it to the Thessalonian church as well. You also will write it in the book of Colossians. But let's look at 1 Thessalonians right now, chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, verse 10. You can be sure that, that the issue of how we live is critical. All right? Now, it's not critical to our eternal security. It doesn't mean if we don't live this way, we were never saved or we're going to lose our salvation. But it's critical to the mission, right? Fight the good fight. Well, the first thing about fighting the good fight is the person who's going to fight the good fight. And that's what he's saying here. He's talking about how we live. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Notice there's a striving here. Not a complacency, right? And how, what is he talking about? And to make it your ambition, your goal, your objective, to lead a quiet life, there it is again, and attend to your own business and work with your hands. Isn't it interesting how practical and specific this all is? He's saying, listen, I want you to leave a quiet life. In other words, your behavior, right? Not a brawler or a fighter or a, one who stirs up controversy. That you would be a representative of the quiet life, you see. A quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. Imagine how many problems would be avoided in the church and in our country if people just attended to these things. That they led a quiet, riot-free life. Let me put it that way today. And attend to their own business. You know, when you attend to your own business, you're too tired at the end of the day to cause a lot of trouble. I'm, I'm being serious. That's what Paul's saying here. Work with your hands. Just as we commanded you. Why? This is the key. So that you will behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. You see, he's focused on our behavior as it is perceived by, quote, the outsiders. Those are the people that need to be saved. Those are the all men and women. And he's saying, listen, I want you to leave a certain, lead a certain life so that you will behave properly toward outsiders. It's not the issue isn't how they're behaving towards you, it's how you're behaving towards them. In other words, very simply, if you want to boil this all down, live lives that match the message of the gospel. Real simple. Lead live, live lives that match the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is that we're all sinners. Right? And, and Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners. And he was raised from the dead so that there would be a new life. And what is that new life? It's the life that Paul's describing here. He'll also describe it in terms of the inner man when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. A life of love and joy and peace and patience. Right? Goodness, faithfulness, self-control. You see, the quiet life starts on the inside. But he's saying that that's a life in keeping with the message of the gospel. That ought to be the lives we're leading. Why? Well, it's pleasing to the Lord. And it's also, it's also puts, I won't put it this way, but it puts the best face. That's not a good way of saying it. But presents the people who are delivering the message. And they have integrity because they're living according to the message. That's important. Oh, we don't want to hear that. I know it's hard. Because why? Because not to be self you know, introspective or anything like that, but to recognize that we need the grace of God in that area too in order to be on the mission. All right. 
Now, if you want to know who you shouldn't be like, it's real simple. All you got to do in this letter is look at the lives being led by the the false teachers, Paul's opponents. And to do that, I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4. Here's how not to be like. Here's what's not to wear. He's going to talk about adornment. In next week's message, he's saying this is what you shouldn't look like. This is how you shouldn't live, you see. Now, why, why is, why, here's the thing. He's saying, listen, when you're listening, this is so important. When you're listening to a teacher, okay, you have a perfect right to evaluate their lives. Perfect right. We see that again and again. When Jesus Christ talks about the fruit, guess who he's talking about? He's not talking about every member. He's talking about the one, the leaders, the false teachers. Those are the ones whose fruit is important. When he gets to chapter 3 and he talks about the, uh, the fruit and the lifestyle and the qualities, it's of the elders. Just remember that, okay? Our lifestyle is on the line. And it, it has to line up with what we're teaching. Well, that's a dead giveaway for the false teachers because that certainly wasn't the case. Look at 1 Timothy 6.4. He is conceited. And understands nothing. Imagine being taught by a fellow like that. Conceited and understands nothing. Whew. But, but they were falling for this. But has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. Notice, out of, here's the lifestyle that they lead. Out of which arise envy. This isn't a quiet life. Strife. Abusive language and evil suspicions. He's saying that's what not to do. Let's continue now back in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let's continue with verses 3 and 4. <laughs> this is the heart of the whole thing. Of course, I mentioned this several times today. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. What is? Our prayer life with, with concerning all men and women. Our behavior and our inner disposition is how all men and women are going to perceive the gospel. All of that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Who desires all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God's objective, his will. And think about this. His entire plan of salvation is for all men and women to be saved. When in eternity passed, he realized and allowed the fall of man. It was the whole human race that fell. When, 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 he, when, he, when he had his son come at the proper time, it was so that he could be the savior of all men, right? That he would be the mediator between God and the whole human race. That's God's entire plan of salvation. When he sent out Paul to witness to all nations, it was a, that was part of his plan of salvation. When today, he tells that the church has a mission to preach the gospel. And, as a, and, and there was, again, just as then, now there, there are people appointed to directly go out, and then everybody else has a job to do as well. And it has to do really with two things, with our, how we live, because there's unbelievers not only in foreign countries, but they're right down the street, and also supporting that in any way that we can. By the way, a brief word here about men, that word I know that sends people in directions these days. This obviously refers to all human beings. He's not talking about gender here. If he were, I suppose there'd be tons of confusion today. Do you know the other day, I was, I don't know why I did this, but I looked up 
the number of genders that Tumblr recognizes. Now, I don't use Tumblr, but I, wanted, I figured that would be the place. To, you want to know how many it's up to now? You ready for this number? 112. You wonder why our kids are confused today? It's <clears throat> like that. I won't say the word. But in any event, all men means everybody. Men and women. It's not talking about maleness. Okay, It's talking about all men and women. By the way, when he says the man Christ Jesus, it's the same thing. He wasn't talking about him being a male. He was talking about a member of the human race in his, in his humanity. If you're a human being, God desires for you to be saved. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men and women to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. <laughs> now, here we go. Since God desires all men to be saved... He expects the church to pray for all men. I know I'm repeating today, but so is Paul. I want, but I, want, I don't want you to say, oh yeah, that's a logical thing. I want you to apply it. That you, your perspective should be for all men and women, especially when it concerns the gospel. That yes, yes, you should be praying for the salvation of everybody. It's not going to happen. That's not God's fault. He wants you to pray for that. All right. Pretty straightforward. By the way, Paul's not just clear about it here. He's clear about it in several places. Especially the letters he wrote to Timothy and Titus. Why? Because they were the next generation of leaders who would be out there and setting up churches. And he wanted to make sure that they they preserved the treasure of the gospel and the fact that it was for all men and women. Please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. To me, personally, this is the, this is the most wonderful passage to, to, to refute the teaching that some are saved. That God wants some to be saved and not others. I want to know why. Because there are some who will pollute what we just read into saying, well, you know, all men just means, you know, all different kinds. But it's just the elect. It's not talking about every member of the human race. What a bold-faced lie. I don't know what they do about this verse, but you can't miss it. Look, it is for this that we labor and strive. All of the things that Paul and Timothy are laboring over, striving for, suffering for. What is it? Because we have fixed our hope on the living God. Our hope, our expectation has to do with the living God. As we're going to see, he's one God for all the human race. And he says it. Who is the Savior of all men? There's that all men again. But I love how what he puts on the end of this passage, this verse. Especially of believers. It's almost as if God were omniscient. (laughs) And he could see that how people were going to twist and distort things. And he wanted to make sure people understood that when I say all men... I don't just mean all believers. I mean everybody. And that's why he adds, especially of believers. Right? So that's, to me, a great passage. There's one more I want you to see, and that's in Titus. Just go forward to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. Paul couldn't be clearer about this fact that God desires for all to be saved and that Jesus Christ died for the sins of everybody. And Paul's mission was living not example, but he was living out this, this reality of God's will. Look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared. That's in the person of Christ, the shining forth of God's essence and God's grace. 
bringing salvation to the chosen. Being, bringing salvation to those who have left all their sins behind and have decided to follow Jesus. No. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. By the way, he brings it to all men. But guess what? All men are free to reject it. All men and women if they want to. This is the, this is the balance that we're going to need. I'll show this to you in a minute. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men and women. Instru- now it's back to us. Notice instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Here it is again. How we are to live. To live sensibly righteously and godly in the present age. It's really the same thing that we just saw here in, in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. He brought, he's bringing salvation to all men and women. He's telling us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and instead to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Now, God has brought salvation to all men. I want to caution you. I mentioned this already a couple of times. This is not what they call universalism. This is what universalism, it's another heresy. It says that all human beings will be saved. No, no, God's desire, he set it up so that this message would go out to everybody and everybody would have the same opportunity to be saved. But not everybody will be saved. Why is that? Very simple. Everybody's eligible. He didn't exclude anybody, he didn't leave anybody out. He didn't tell Paul that, you know what, when you see this certain nationality, don't bother because, you know, they can't be saved anyway. The message goes out to all. However, many refuse to believe in Christ as their Savior. They refuse to believe it. When there's, you know, when there's knock on the door and the evangelist is uh, telling them about Jesus Christ, they slam the door. That's their choice. But that has, of course, eternal ramifications. So it's not, it's the fact that the, the message Christ died for all men and women. The message is to be delivered to all men and women, but then all men and women have to make a choice. They're either going to believe it or not believe it. And of course, that's the tragedy in this. But that's very different, by the way, from what the false teachers in Ephesus were doing. They were insisting that Christ only died for the Jews. And the fact of the matter is, that means they excluded all the Gentiles from the offer, the very offer of salvation. We know this because remember their insistence on following the law, and they basically said, listen, the law is for everybody, and, and that's actually the only way to be saved, because the first thing you've got to do is, if you're not Jewish, you've got to become a member of Judaism, that religion. How do you do that? Well, you start following the law. And see it? Because they believed only Jewish, in the sense of followers of that religion, could be saved. That's, of course, a heresy, too. You know, I want to show you this somewhere else, and that's in the book of Romans. You know, Romans, of course, is the foundation book, and this lays this thing out perfectly, okay? It's a total, you know, Timothy is, First Timothy is just a kind of an explanatory passage on what's being delivered as a foundation in Romans. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 25 and 28 to 30. Notice how he starts. Romans 3, 21 to 25. All right. But now, in the, in the right time, apart from the law, 
the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. They saw in the future that this would happen. Even the righteousness of God himself. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all. Is that all again? But, but then all those who believe. You see it? It's those who believe who actually, they're the ones that are justified. Okay? There's no distinction between any member of the human race. All of us have sinned. Therefore, all of us need a Savior. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. However, all of us have the opportunity to believe and be justified as a gift. It's a gift. There's no qualifications that, that make you eligible. It's a pure gift of God. All right. Some refuse the gift. Justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. You can't miss it as a propitiation, the perfect sacrifice in his blood through faith. Now look at verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. You see, the works of the law would be exclusionary. Those who did were eligible to be justified. Those who didn't weren't. You see how that's, a, that's heresy? No, apart from the works of the Lord. Or is God the God of Jews only? No, you see, God is the God of Gentiles also. And yes, since he is the God of Gentiles also, he will justify the circumcised, the Jew, by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. The same God, God for all people. Notice here he talks about circumcised and uncircumcised, and that is because Gentile could become a Jew by getting circumcised, among other things. All right, let's go back and finish up today in 1 Timothy chapter 2. <laughs> and go back and look at verses 5 and 6. <laughs> I think by now, you, hopefully, you've seen the heartbeat of this message, all men and women. All right, let's just let's continue now as we end. Because verse 5 in our passage is going to pick up on that reference we just saw of one God for, for Jew and Gentile. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. There needed to be a mediator between God and men. Not because of anything God did, but because of the condition of mankind after the fall. The man emphasized the humanity of Christ Jesus who gave himself... On the cross, he died for, as a ransom for all. There's all again, all men and women. Testimony given at the proper time, right? At the proper time, Jesus died for our sins. At the proper time, Paul came on the scene and became the apostle to the Gentiles. (coughs) But there's one God, one mediator, entire human race. Now, what's a mediator? Here's the thing. It's kind of the same thing as today. You know, you have a labor strike, and you have labor over here and management over there, and they can either go to court or they can appoint a mediator to kind of settle their differences. Well, the differences here were all on our side, but any of a man's side. So it's a go-between. He's working to reconcile two parties. Now, who are the two parties? Real simple. God and the entire human race. So a mediator is a go-between. Jesus Christ is the perfect mediator because he's a human being. That's why he puts the human, the man, Christ Jesus. He's God and he's human. That's the perfect mediator between God and the human race. You see it? 
The humanity of Christ, in other words, is fundamental to his role as a mediator. Now, the human race needed to be reconciled to God, not the other way around. So the important part was that he was the human as the mediator. Don't miss that. Christ gave himself as a ransom for the entire human race. When Christ died on that cross, he was making himself, his life, his death, a ransom for the freedom of all men and women. That all men and women would have their sins dealt with at the cross. He was the ransom. He died on behalf of the whole human race. He died as the substitute for the whole human race. No distinction. His death was costly. Think about it. His death was infinite so that all men and women could be saved. So to exclude anybody from the offer of salvation is horrific. Can you see that? I want you to see Christ dying for the sins of everybody on the cross. And then somebody coming along and saying, you know what? Throw that out. He didn't die for everybody. Can you see how horrible that is? When you start to look at it, that's why Paul lays it out here. Right? Pray for all men. God's will is that for all would be saved. Jesus Christ died as a ransom for all. Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and all men and women. Another reason here why the church should pray for the salvation of all human beings. Why? Because Christ died for all human beings. And then finally, verse 7. <laughs> for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And then he says, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. You know why? Because they were lying. He's saying, now here's the truth, that I've also been appointed as a teacher to the Gentiles in faith and in truth. In other words, the very existence of Paul's mission as a Gentile, as as a preacher to the Gentiles, shows that God wills for all people to be saved. Paul's mission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles is their mission also. He's tying it all together now. He's tying together. With, why is it so important how we pray? Why is it so important the kind of life we live? Because Paul's mission to preach the gospel to the Gentiles is our mission as well. And let's just see this one more time. 2 Corinthians 5.18. This is where we'll close today. 2 Corinthians 5.18. The mission that Paul had in the first century was the mission of the church at Ephesus. And it's our mission as well today. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 19. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He was the perfect mediator. And here's the key, though. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The preaching, the declaration of that Christ, Christ's death is the, is the reconciliation. That he is the mediator between God and all men and women. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling. 19. Come on now, let's close strong. Let's fight the good fight here. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. All men and women. Notice this one. This is a shocker. 
to the legalists. Not counting their trespasses against them. You see, why do I say that? Well, because the legalists and the Lordship Salvation people are saying, God is counting all your sins against you. Unless you repent, you can't be saved. What a bunch of nonsense. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In other words, let the word go out. That Jesus Christ is the reconciliation between God and all men and women. And Jesus Christ died on the cross for all men and women. And now God is not even counting the trespasses against them. Because he is, in the death of Christ, he is reconciling the world to himself. And by the way, this is Paul's mission and, and he completed it. At the end of his life, he would write a second letter to Timothy where he would say, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. He did it. He fought his good fight. He won his race. Let us be able to say the same thing. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you now, we thank you so much for the grace that you have poured upon us, giving us your son to die for our sins, raising him from the dead on the third day, presenting the simplicity of the Gospels so that all men and women could be saved through faith, by grace. We thank you too, Father, that you've left us here with a mission. That mission is, yes, is, for, is to grow so that we become the kind of people that match the message of the Gospel so that, and our mission is so that we would line up with your will that all men and women be saved. Help us, help for that to begin with our prayer life. And also, Father, that we would continue to support and do everything we possibly can for the missionaries, the evangelists, and that we would also understand that you have brought all around us men and women that need to hear the good news. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. (coughs) All right. Uh, Bible study Thursday. It's on Skype. All men and women. <laughs> when you think about it, right? The miracle of technology, right? All men and women, not that, they're, not that we think we're so wonderful that they'll all, but it's open to all. The offer goes out. It's on Skype at 6.30. If anybody ever needs a link, you can just email mark, M-A-R-C, at lbible.org. See, we have to spell pastor for the New Englanders who think it's spelled pasta. And then we have to make sure Mark with the C. But in any event, please join us. We're almost done with eternal security. A couple more weeks on that. And then we're going to go to another book of the Bible. A few chapters in a big book. So I'm going to leave you in suspense about what that is. By the way, at the end of the Bible study, that's our prayer meeting time. That's when we're together and we pray together. Okay. By the way, that... That tells you, too, that we do pray as a, as, a, as a body and that we do covet your prayers and we ask you to tell us what we should pray for. All right. So please do that. Um, there's a great easy way to do that now. It's right on our website, right on the first homepage. You can just click a button and you can tell us what you want us to pray for. All right. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Simplicity of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead on the third day. And whoever believes in him 
their Savior will never perish, but has eternal life. That's the power of the word of the cross. You have the power in the word of God that you have the privilege of preaching to others. Any questions you ever have, you can email me. Um, today's message or... Where would I still have it? Yeah, there it is. You know, email me. I won't bite. I can't bite. You know, it's over the internet. So, please, please, if you have any questions, don't sit and stew on them or, you know, just send them to me. I'll do my best to answer them or tell you that they're unanswerable. Which, by the way, there are questions that, I, that you can't answer in the Word of God, by the way. Does Adam have a belly button? Um, you know, are there, is there extraterrestrial life? It's funny how people ask these wacky questions, but I'm not putting you down for asking them and wondering about them. I'm only telling you that there are some things that the Bible doesn't deal with that should tell you something. All right, in any event. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this day. For all your gifts, we ask you, Father, that we would find ways to enjoy who you are, your love and your grace and your righteousness. We thank you, Father, for all these things. We ask, Father, too, that we would never forget the people that need to be saved. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, you are dismissed. Thanks for being here either live or on the internet, and we will reconvene on Thursday, 6.30 on Skype.